So a lot of you listening to the show ask me all the time, Mike, how is this podcast free? It's like you're not charging us per episode. Where do you make your money? Well, the only way I can keep us afloat is by signing uh, deals with sponsors and affiliates. And oftentimes, many of you want to donate to the show, but you just don't have that exposed disposable income. I get it. I understand completely. One of the best ways to support us is signing up for one of our affiliate programs. And one of my favorites, uh, just because of how fucking hilarious their marketing campaign is, is Manscaped. Have you guys heard of Manscaped? I'm sure you have listening to other podcasts. If you are thinking about cleaning up your act, right? If you want to, let's just say the lawn's getting a little too long, you know, you're getting itchy and you got to do some cleanup. Maybe you're finally, you got your shit together and you've got a date and you're just concerned. <laughs> then head on over to Manscaped. Support for In Love With The Process is brought to you by Manscaped who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, the champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Good one, guys. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. I've used it. It works. You've heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off, free worldwide shipping with our show's promo code, which is listed below in the description of the episode. Super easy. Uh, check it out at manscaped.com. Um, let's see, what else do they have for talking points here? Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. Cute, guys. I am one of the first people to try out the 4.0. This is true. And I was very impressed with the performance in the craftsmanship. It feels good in your hand. I actually like the little light that's on it. I don't know if you guys have had the same scenario where if you're trying to clean up in darker areas and you're in the bathroom and that overhead light, you got that you got that head shadows. You're like bending over awkwardly, trying to like position yourself over a contrasting color to make sure you haven't missed anything. You know what I'm saying? Without getting too graphic. <laughs> Like I said, get 20% off and free shipping with our promo code listed within the description of this episode at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with the free shipping at manscaped.com using the In Love With The Process promo code listed within the description of this episode. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.
Welcome to the new episode of the Love of the Process. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Super excited for today's episode. Um, I've got Carl Winery on and uh, very excited to talk to him about his experiences as a cinematographer, uh, his experience as a director for music videos. Uh, he is a musician that turned to directing because he w just wasn't happy with the type of videos that were being done for his band. Um, and uh, he fell in love with it. He's since moved on and uh, shot and executive produced a fan film for Friday the 13th called Jason Rising. Um, so we get to talk a little bit about fan film stuff. You've heard me talk about it before on the show uh, with my experiences with my fan film. Um, but his experience has been a positive one. So we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. And then we're also going to get into the do-it-yourself filmmaking aspect that so many of us come up in. This world of uh, the hustle. How do I take, you know, $5 and make it look like it costs 5000 to do? And a lot of that means ridiculous hours, burning the candle at both ends, and being your own motivator, and creating the work that says to clients, says to people that you want to collaborate with in the future, I'm committed. It's that same, see, this is the game again. It's that same mindset that bleeds into set work. As I say this out loud, it's so fascinating how we are trained. We have to come up this way because our industry is so incredibly com competitive. So many of us want to get into it. And there's only room for a certain amount. And so we have to prove that we'll work harder, we'll work faster, we'll do these things. And then that way of doing things, you show up into a room. I remember when I was pitching uh, 12 Cam to big studios and, and big production companies and sitting in a room and the production company would go, how, do, how did you make this? How much was this? What's it worth? Can you do the same thing for a feature? And I would have to say to them all the time, take into consideration that the folks that worked on this thing did it for me for love. It's not gonna be that way when we make this movie. It's not going to be that way. These people are going to be working for you, a studio. You're going to pay them. And you're going to pay them adequately for it. So the budget's going to be more. Uh, it's my responsibility to say that. It's your responsibility to say that as a filmmaker. Oh my God, I'm on that tangent again. Anyway, uh, very excited. <laughs> I, I apologize, Carl, because we got so, <laughs> so serious about the intro of this show. But I think it feeds into exactly what we talk about on this episode. So if you're a young filmmaker, if you're looking to become re-inspired uh, with sets in the industry, this is a great episode for you. Um, and thank you, everybody, uh, for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast at the Love of the Process pod. That's Love of the Process P-O-D on Instagram. Um, there you've seen all of our updates. I just posted a few weeks ago. Um, I was really excited to do it all the different horror filmmakers that have been on the show, uh, tagged everybody involved and everybody's sort of talking now. Really fucking cool. Uh, I love that about this episode, or this show, rather. Um, so that's it. Without further ado, let's get into it. With Carl, you know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Find a comfy place to sit back, relax, maybe take a few notes, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Hey, Carl, thanks for being on the show, man. How are you? I am great. How about yourself? Uh, doing all right. It's uh, oh, out here. In, well, you're on the West Coast, right? You're in, you're in Portland. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's for some reason, it feels like it's early as fuck. <laughs> you know, it's an early morning today. <laughs> um, but uh, super happy to have you on the show. Yeah, are you uh, are you on the West Coast too? Are you dealing with the wind and rain? Uh, I am on the West Coast, and it did rain like hell yesterday here in Los Angeles, which is great because uh, we never get it. And uh, for like a hot second, it feels like uh, it's October when it does that. <laughs> yeah. So it's nice. It was cold yesterday. Uh, sort of hung out, watched a couple movies, did some work. It was nice. It was a good day yesterday. Nice. I have a uh, kind of like a facade set set up in my front yard and it got so windy it blew it over last night. Um, it wasn't much. It was just to do like a, a lens test. So it was like slats of wood that I backlit and uh, fog so you couldn't see what was behind it. Uh -huh. uh, but it came within a foot of hitting my wife's car. It was kind of crazy. I showed up from work and I was like, wait, what? Oh, my God. <laughs> so I feel like I just skated by on that one. Oh, you're lucky, man. You would have got a rash of shit from your wife, I'm sure. I was joking. It was grounds for divorce. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm happy to have you on here. Uh, for those listening who don't know who you are, uh, Carl, you are a cinematographer, executive producer, uh, bassist in a band, correct? Uh, my correct. own point with all that. Um, and uh, today we're here to talk about, uh, I really want to get into like, you know, do-it-yourself filmmaking because it seems like you're a guy that uh, is out there, you know, doing everything. You possibly can to get stuff in front of the camera that is correct yeah so i shoot a lot of music videos um they're at like the lowest end of budget to um some of the higher ones are like at, i'll just toss out like if we would have charged a client for one we did for my band that would have been like 20 or 30 grand right um and then i uh, just did a, a film called uh, jason rising which is a friday the 13th fan film mm -hmm. and uh, i was executive producer on that plus editor cinematographer with with other people helping film um, and so, you know, it's just been a wild uh, couple years of trying to make art happen and get in front of people's eyes. So what came first for you? Was it music or was it was it film? It was music. I've been in bands for, God, just, you know, since the early 2000s. Uh, it took a long time before we got good. But uh, on the tour, I, I had a camcorder and I just was filming and I brought a laptop and I was just editing as we went so people could follow along. So basically, it filmed two days throw together a three to five minute video and try to just make it like jam packed and fun and then put it up and they did really well. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what got me into the video. And then, um, my, one of my wife's friends, uh, he did a lot of 40 hour film festivals. And so I helped him out with stuff yep. and then, um, you know, kind of got hooked there and then, uh, started doing music videos. And the, the thing that got me into music videos was I'd hired a bunch of people to do maybe like five before I started doing it myself. And there were people could do pretty good, um, but I'm in metal bands and they just they always are missing something. They either like put the camera on a tripod and consider it good or, <laughs> you know, one, one video I, I had five gallons of fake blood. And I was like, I don't know if this is enough. And then I got back from a show that we played and, and they had only used half of one. I was like, whoa, we have a problem. <laughs> and, you know, that's the type of, type of stuff where I'm like, you know, I can do this myself. Like, I don't I don't need to pay somebody else a lot of money and just have them with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the tough part about music videos in general, right? I mean, I've talked about it quite a few times on our podcast where there is this strange, weird disconnect between the musicians and uh, music video directors often if you're dealing with your label or your management or your rep. 
uh, they will oftentimes walk in with like a stack of treatments that you guys have absolutely no fucking connection to. Um, and then you're trying to get a director who has no real connection to you to have some sort of emotional connection to the track. <laughs> so I don't know if you, if that's been the way with how you've done stuff in the past before you started directing, like what was your process of finding directors before you got into it? Ah, uh, man. You know, I, I feel like when we first got into it, it was kind of who you knew slash like you start networking and you find people, you see somebody who saw, who shot one for another band that you'll really like. And you're like, well, that's well done. Like, let's go with them. Um, but what I, what I found was, especially on the metal side, people, they just, they're missing that to them. Like some of the things you might want them to do, they might say yes, but they're super uncomfortable with it. And so it's just an art of trying to get them to the line of where you want things. And they just can't do it. The, the videos weren't very kinetic, um, kind of boring. Like it's not, like I said, all on a tripod or like, you know, they have three shots in a row that are handheld and then they have like a long shot on the drummer that's on a tripod. I'm like, can't you do something to liven that up? It just like, kind of like kills it. Um, what do you mean by uncomfortable? You said they would do things that they were uncomfortable with. Is that like, let's say blood or like, you know, a lot of times in metal videos, they have subject matter. That's not, um, just like happy sunshine and flowers. It's a little <laughs> bit darker. And you know, it's like, I, there's a couple like archetype on videos that people really love to like, Oh, Hey, we could do one on suicide or drugs. And I'm always like, no, that's just, <laughs> you're not going to do it better. I can't do it better than, than other people have. Like, let's just stay away from that and let's do something new. But, you know, you see stuff where people are tied up in a chair and beat up all the time. Uh, I've done, yes. I think, one of those. Yes, uh, I've done a few I of those. Never do, yeah, I hope to never do a couple, some of those again. I'm like, you know, if, if we see this done like 300 times, let's do something else. We can, you know, we can put our brains together and figure something out. But, you know, when I, when I work with people now, what I try to do is I try to make sure that we nail the vibe of the song. And the story, it, I always like to do stories and band performance footage because you get the best of both worlds. You get the band gets yeah. a chance to be seen. Um you know, and a lot of times I'm working with artists that uh, people might not have seen before. And it's like their chance to sell themselves to the world. And so what I like to do is make sure that we have a story in there. So it's, uh, you know, endlessly rewatchable and the band, the band footage should look good too. And so we, you know, I really try to make sure that we nail the whole vibe because I feel like the story doesn't have to do with the lyrics, but if you nail the atmosphere and the look and, and I keep mm -hmm. saying vibe of the song uh, for the video, you know, those are the ones that take off. Like when you hit it, they just, they will do gangbusters, assuming the bands promote it and the labels promote it if the labels are involved. Um, but I, you know, I do a lot of videos for unsigned bands too, and, and sometimes signed and sometimes some bigger bands. Like I've worked with like Skin Lab and um, Vicious Rumors and 16 mm -hmm. Volt and, and mm -hmm. a couple other artists that I'm probably blanking right now that are, you know, decently big. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just every, every process is a little bit unique, but I definitely try to make sure that we nail what the artist wants. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's, it's super important. I, I know there's a couple of times that we've whipped it too, and you could just kind of feel the disappointment. I'm like, Oh, that's, I hope to never have that again. So thankfully it's really rare, but yeah, it's, but it's out there. It happens, man. Like it isn't just your skill that makes a good music video. It's not just, you know, your technique and your skill. It's, it's, it's everything. Sometimes budget is a huge factor in whether or not the music video is going to be great. Sometimes it's just the interaction that you have with the band or, or their management uh -huh. or the label, which sort of dictates that. I mean, any time that I sat down to do a music video treatment or do something, it was always with the best interest. And I would always set out to not necessarily change the world, but at least push myself where it was like, okay, yep. so this has got to be cool. I got to like, this has got to be worth my fucking time to do this, this. I have to really sort of test the limits of 
what I've done before. Um, and sometimes you just run into, you know, a situation where no matter how hard you want it to be that way, it ends up just, just being, and you know, it, and it, there's a lesson to be learned from that. I learned a lot of lessons from that actually on, yeah. how, on how to sort of process, uh, projects that are beyond my control. And then you're sort of like, I don't know, uh, looking under a microscope at exactly what it is that I received from this and what I learned from this. There's been a lot of great lessons from shitty music videos. Let me just say that. Oh, completely. And and I'm sure you you're in the same boat where like you start to get better at spotting those warning signs. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely there's some people who can't get out of their own way and their involvement just screws everything up. And then there's other people who the more they're involved, the better everything is because everything they just have great ideas. They're super collaborative. They push things forward in a really good way. And, you know, then you have the other bands where I'm just like, oh, my God, get out of the room. You're just killing everything. Uh, <laughs> people can't give it their all. And holy crap, this is bad. So, you know, it's just it's a, it's a mixed bag. But yeah, the failures definitely you learn a lot. Um, just as much as you do from the huge videos that go are you know wildly successful. Well, you must have a, a, a bit of empathy and sympathy for, for the band members that have to perform uh, in music videos because you've been on the other end of that camera, right? So you have an understanding of what they're dealing with. Does that help you when you're directing these guys? Oh, completely. And But I'm also brutal to them, too. And I tell them, I said, you know, here's the deal. Do not party the night before. Uh, this is going to hurt worse than the show. But if you do it right you know, it's, it's going to last forever and, and you're going to be proud of it. And when you're a grandpa and like telling your kids, you're going to show them this video that you did when you're like 25. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I, I make them do a million takes. I just, we like to do group footage. My thing is I, I, I like to get group shots. I like to get uh, super energetic individual shots, try to change up the locations a lot, lighting, you know, you name it. So I might, some days I might have somebody do 20, 25 takes. Um, yeah. And that's hard on the artist. That's hard. You can give them breaks and everything and occasionally let them drink water and maybe give them food or, or dangle a possibility of beer or something. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I try to prep them as good as possible. Um, but, you know, for every ounce of energy they put into it, it's just going to pay off tenfold. And, and thankfully, most artists, like nine out of 99 out of 100, are just phenomenal to work with. Um, occasionally, you run into people that have some struggles that they're fighting, but you know yeah well you know <laughs> what are you gonna do? that's that's life man you know and yeah exactly with uh you're you're right about how exhausting it is for a lot of these guys especially the drummers and mm -hmm. you know when i was doing a lot of the kill switch stuff i would just <laughs> have nothing but sympathy for the poor drummer because i would just okay another take another take and you're like 12 takes in and they're fucking playing the hardest that they would ever play because everything's captured on screen and they're just exhausted. Like you just my my favorites for the drummers are like, okay, so you're behind, you're behind the guitar player, you're out of focus. Never tell them that. Uh, <laughs> but you know this this take is on the guitars, and you're in the background. It looks really cool and artsy, and I'm sure we're gonna use it at least twice in the video. But uh, yeah, I give it your all just for those five minutes. <laughs> well, I eventually learned. <laughs> I eventually learned to sort of communicate with them and go, yeah, this is just a close up. So just give your left hand is all, and the rest of you yep. can relax and. Uh, it's kind of important for those guys because it's literally pot, like like a puddle of sweat when you're done shooting those cats. Oh, it's it's gross. You have to start with them uh, individually before they get nasty. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, that's cool, man. How long have you been uh, doing music videos now? I I, have, I think it's probably like six years or something now. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I'm horrible at time, but I, I guess about six years. And uh, yeah, the first two, it's just kind of finding your way. I didn't go to film school or anything, so it, it took a bit to 
actually be able to have an image in my head and then be able to deliver it properly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. But that's part of the, you know, that's part of the early, the early days at it, man. Like, uh, and you're cranking along. One of the old sayings on this show is that it takes eight years before anybody really gives a shit. And it must help that you were in a band because it sounds like you're getting a lot of recognition for what it is that you're doing, at least in your industry, a bit earlier than most people would. Um, and it just, I think over for us and for me specifically, I was really deep in music video work for about seven years. And then after seven years, I was kind of like, okay, sort of reassessing the world in the, in the finance, the, like the financial burden that comes with trying to run a company that does music videos, which oh, is pretty possible, which is pretty tough. Like, uh, yeah. Are you a uh, full-fledged uh, outfit at this point? Are you like uh, full production insurance, all that kind of stuff? Are you a full company or are you just working freelance? Uh, I would say freelance. I, mean, I have a company name. Uh, the production insurance kind of comes and goes depending on the projects. Uh, I've been trying to walk the line of, I really want to boost a lot of the artists here. Uh, we have some some artists that are on labels. Uh, what the cool thing is I've been able to actually help get some bands signed. Uh, because their videos have done so well, uh, you know, uh, worldwide, and, and they've got some recognition. Um, so there's probably like five bands I think that have been signed, including uh, one of, actually not including my own band. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, the budgets still aren't huge. Um, I could probably charge more, but we're really trying to help. I'm trying to help boost people up at the same time. So it's kind of in between that. It's that weird state where it's like almost a full production company um, with production insurance constantly to. Uh, you know, still kind of like almost freelance, if that makes sense. I, we just finished a movie and now I'm trying to reevaluate like, okay, what are the, what are the next set of goals? Uh, what do we do next? And I think it is stepping up that the official status, um, making sure that I can go rent lights and that we do have all the proper insurance and, you know, it's less and less uh gorilla style while still being fun. Yeah. I mean, well, see, it's a, it's a fascinating game. This is where we were years ago so we started very similar to the way you i've started so me and my old business partner uh really sort of uh ran out and shot a lot of stuff he was in a band so he had access to a lot of bands so we started to really get our hands on folks but when you're new in the business on any angle of this business people don't want to pay you what you're supposed to get paid so the and then usually the way that you get in is by being so inexpensive and so then you have to get in there and you have to prove that not only can you uh, fulfilled the budget that they gave you, but make it look like it costs like six or seven times mm -hmm. as much as that. And so then that's the game that we were playing for quite some time. And then uh, as you get into working with labels regularly and you start to work with a larger uh, uh, companies like Universal or fucking Warner Brothers or like some of these bigger spots, then uh, you start to, they require you to have insurance they require you to have workers comp then next thing you know your your cost your overhead starts to go up a lot especially out here in los angeles a lot of folks don't realize how much it fucking costs for goddamn workers comp and then uh for just production insurance in general i think at one point in time we were paying like six grand a year on just insurances for everything and so the the big issue that we were running into is that we became, I think we became too professional for what the industry ultimately was going to pay or what the industry put puts out, you know, because once you start writing for larger labels, um, you're just submitting like we, I think we wrote like 
one year I wrote like 65 treatments and I got four of them, four of them. Wow. And so like you start to do the numbers game and you're like, what the fuck? And then you're looking at your overhead and you're like, Jesus Christ, I have to pay for all this stuff. So I don't know, man, I, I have this weird, it's almost like I went to war for music videos and I'm at the back end now. And I have this sort of weird outlook these days, which is, I think it's great if you're just doing stuff for bands that you know and smaller bands. Um, because when I look at the profit margin between working on a large scale um, record label music video, how much I physically made, and then how much I made on the smaller pieces, and it's practically the same amount. The only yeah. difference really is the amount of money that I have to spend for stuff. And, and there was a period of time in, in which that was super fucking exciting to me where I'm like, oh, I can have more money, I can get a bigger crew, and I can start to pay people. But then what comes with that cash is this incredibly unrealistic expectation, uh, tr A, treatment, and then B, uh -huh. what your deliverables are. And so yeah. then you sort of hit a point where you go, I don't fucking like, <laughs> I don't like working for you big boys. I think it's more fun to work with my friends. I think it's more fun to work with uh, musicians that really understand the work and the detail that goes into it. Um, and they support you. And I think that's why I did so many videos with Killswitch for years is that those guys are such a great band and so incredibly supportive, not only of us, but also of their road crew and their team. And uh, they're such a great family band that it, that we didn't mind going back into the, you know, the fucking studio game where like. Yeah. And, and that looked like all those videos looked like they were just so much fun, like every fun and love oozed onto like every video you guys did with them. And so for yeah. the listeners, uh, I, I heard about you through the always video from Kill Switch. Um, it broke all the rules that normally make me hate videos. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was only story. Uh, it interrupted the song to play outside audio. But it was like brilliant. And I was just like, holy shit. And by the time the video was done, like I had tears in my eyes. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't felt this moved from anything in years. And it was a freaking music video for, you know, a, a Kill Switch song that was kind of more of a ballad. And it was a newer Kill Switch song. And I was just like, none of this should work. But yet here it is. And oh my God, this is amazing. And what I mean by that, like it violates my rules. Um, <laughs> but I, I just loved it. And then everything I've seen that you've done since then is just, freaking incredible thanks man i like i i think my my greatest pleasure i think my greatest pleasure from that video is that i made a bunch of tough metal dudes cry and just <laughs> reading reading the comments where it's just like i don't know what's going on i don't cry but i'm crying right now and i'm just like yeah i know <laughs> we intentionally did that and what i loved about it was that you know that was right around the time that that jesse rejoined the band and so he was like very much into doing great music videos. He was very excited to be back into that position again. And the rest of the band is incredibly cooperative and those guys are great, but they've been doing it for so long. And, and I think when Jesse left the band initially, uh, he did so. And then I, there was, I think there was a lot of regret from him. And yeah. so when he had the opportunity to get back into it, he was fucking full throttle. So when I was doing treatments and I was writing stuff, I was always communicating with him. Um, I'd have to put it to the rest of the guys, but they were just like, yeah, whatever, you, wherever you need us, we'll, we'll go there. It was, that was really Jesse. Um, and uh, I think I've talked about it on the show prior, but that video just, that came about as this weird 
blend of creativity and disappointment, actually, because initially we were supposed to uh, go on the road with the band in Europe. So the original treatment was that uh, while the band toured through Europe, we were going to go on the road with them and we were going to shoot performances and castles and all this crazy shit. And it was really fun. Uh, we were super excited to travel with them for a few weeks and, and go through Europe. And uh, the drummer of the band ended up breaking, I think he broke his foot, either his arm or his foot. And so the guys were like, well, you guys can't come do a video without him. <laughs> and so they were like, so, you know, the video's canceled. And we're like, what the fuck? And then they're like, so you, you guys just want to do something else? And we were just so bitter. I remember just being like, fuck you. Like, we were supposed to go to Europe and travel through Europe. And they're like, well, you know, whatever else you guys want to do. And I'm like, I don't know. Let's do a video where we drive up and down the Route 1 on the coast because I've always wanted to do that. And I'll take a bunch of my friends and we'll go do that. <laughs> and it was, it was really just a response to not getting to go to Europe. <laughs> wow. I had no clue. That's, a, that's incredible. Yeah. 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 And here's what's interesting about it. The lesson that I learned from that job. Prior to that, we were just starting to get a little bitter because of like not getting a lot of videos and really sort of really so like throwing ourselves into everything and is incredibly discouraging which is something that you that i've now learned has to do with every aspect of this fucking business um but uh what happened was i changed my perspective on it i essentially said hey i this the most important aspect of this video is having a good time so i'm gonna bring a small team of guys that i want to go have a good time on the coast with so i'm gonna bring these guys that are very talented but also I want to be around them all day. And then um, same thing with the actors. Uh, both those actors were friends of mine. And I'm like, these are guys that I would like to like hit the breweries and drink up and down the coast with. And they're good on screen. Okay, great. We'll bring them too. Um, and we were very loose about that video. My business partner ended up uh, getting permits for most of the coast because we didn't know where we were going to shoot. So we had to basically permit all the way up and down the coast, the beaches for us to potentially be there. Um, wow. And then we just drove it. We really did. And the the adventure that kind of came through in the video, uh, the behind the scenes adventure is so much more exciting <laughs> than the actual video was itself. And I, I think that that uh, joy and excitement sort of came through into the work. And so, you know, we were just happy to be there. And like like in hanging off of a cliff in the middle of like it was it was right around this time i think hanging off a cliff and it was fucking windy and crazy and wet and um and we just made something that was powerful and i, I love the constraints and and like I, I feel like constraints are huge for helping make videos good um you have a, a box that you have to play in and yeah. i think it's interesting to see like all right it's my friends we're gonna do a road trip and we're gonna make something and you you know you guys hit lightning in a bottle i mean that's that video is probably one of their best videos in my opinion i've, I've been following them for a long time yeah uh, yeah yeah i mean it's it's definitely the video that we we still get it's that one and then the mashuga those two videos, I still get comments and people write to me all the time. And, you know, when did we shoot that? When did we shoot Kill Switch? It was like over, over eight years ago, whatever the fuck it was. So, yeah. And, but I, I'll tell you what, I've been watching music videos my entire life because I'm just a huge, huge fan. And I, 
I think this might be the only time I've ever gone and looked somebody up because it's like, holy shit, who did that? That was so good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, man. It wasn't just me. You know, my business partner was a big part oh, of, of course. It. Yeah. And, it's know. always a team, but still, you know, it's like you, you guys all nailed it. I mean, there's just, there's just magic. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I, I, like I said, I think the video came out great. Um, but, uh, it was so relieving for me because, uh, I really wasn't concerned about it. In a weird way, I was less concerned about how good that video came out and more concerned about the life experiences, which in a roundabout way created an even better video than we had ever done before. Um, so looking looking back at it, do you, do you have good vibes on everything or do you still feel a little bit of resentment about not going to Europe? I'm just kind of curious. Oh, dude, I love it. I think that okay. I think the time that we had, man, I wish I could tell some of the stories on air. The time that we had in California <laughs> blew whatever sort of stress that we would have had going on tour with those guys, which would have been like time schedule stress and dealing with emotions and everybody else. No, fuck that. We had such a great time making that video. Um, and, and after we did that video, of course, we had everybody asking us to make videos like that. And then they, you know, then the side effect is, is that bands are like writing treatments for that video and they're being yeah. way too serious about it and you're yep. like you guys missed the fucking point the point is is that we were so pissed off that we just <laughs> fucked off that we took their cash and we went and made this thing but also drove up and down the coast and drank beers and and rented like that convertible that was in the video that was our car yeah. and we drove up and down the coast in that car <laughs> the whole time and the hotel that's in that video we stayed in that hotel and when i was booking that's over in uh santa cruz which is uh, where they shot uh, Lost Boys. So the carnival's there and everything's there. Yep. And that place is very scary as far as like drug use is concerned. Um, oh, man. And uh, we booked that real dog shit hotel because we didn't have money for a location. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, let's book this hotel. And I'll go talk to the guy at the desk. And I went and I was like, I think we're going to take some photos. And he's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I always tell people. I'm like, if you get busted, just tell them it's a photo shoot. <laughs> And then uh, we, when I was booking out the place, you know, the, the hotel ch prices were so cheap because it was a dirty hotel. And the guy goes, uh, "Do you want the, do you want the uh, the newlywed suite? You want the, <laughs> you want the just got married suite?" And we we're like, "How much does that cost?" And he's like, uh, "That's a highest priced room. That's a hundred and ten dollars." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up booking out that place and uh i remember i went in there with my buddy tony who's my assistant and uh we go in there and there's these holes that like run up the side of the wall that were spackled and we're like what the fuck are these holes and i was like oh those are gunshots <laughs> yeah wow so yeah yeah we stayed in a real dog shit hotel shot there it looked great um yeah. and uh you know we had such a crazy crazy fun adventure on that job so. Oh man, um, it's it's interesting. And the reason I asked about like how you view it now, I feel like a lot of times you have big dreams or lofty ideas, and then you know the wind gets knocked out of the sail. But whatever you end up getting, you end up, you know, at least most of the time, uh, I am I've always been so proud of whatever we've accomplished with with whatever cards you've been dealt. Um, and obviously, you know, you big play a big part of what cards that you get, but sure. Um, you know, going to Europe as a possibility being big out there seems pretty huge, but then you end up with this, you know, incredible video that you, as you mentioned, you know, people are still talking about like eight years later. It's like, wow, what are, what are the chances? Um, 
And, you know, it's, it's funny because I've had a couple instances where, you know, big dreams on something or huge plans and then, you know, it falls apart and you're like, well, how the hell do I salvage this? And then, you know, you always end up being, I've always been pretty happy with the results and, you know, nobody else sees what went into it. Um, they don't know how, mm-hmm. <laughs> how, you mm-hmm. know, you got hit in the gut right before you went to go hit uh, record and had to make do with whatever it was. Yeah. No, no one gives a shit. No one, like the people at home don't care what goes into this stuff, which is good and bad. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's just about what you pull together in that edit room, especially on music videos. Yeah. And so I think you, I get a lot of credit for stuff that was essentially spackle, you know what I mean? Like you go in there and you go, I don't have enough footage here. How do I make this work? And then you, you end up pulling it together and, and then people are like, wow, this is very strange. And this is like avant-garde and you're like, nah, this was just poor producing. (laughs) (laughs) but it's the part that sticks out to him (laughs) yeah yeah no and then what you end up doing is sort of changing the tone and then once you start to understand that it is kind of loose like that with music videos i started to relax a lot i started to just go like ah this isn't the end this isn't going to change my world this isn't going to make or break my fucking career i should be having fun doing these things because if i'm not having fun making these things the other stuff is the other stuff doesn't pay out enough. Yeah. You know, like no one cares. Like it, the audience will sit there and watch it on their phone for about, if you're lucky, they'll get through the whole video and then they'll go, okay, great. That's great. And then they're done with it. And so. Yep. And they're on to the next thing. Exactly. So like if you're, if you're crushing this thing um, to try to change everything for your career, it's just, it just doesn't. I think over time no. they do, but yeah, individually they don't. I don't think. Yeah, it's funny. I've been, whether it's, you know, incredible shows that you play opening for big bands or, you know, you have something release and they're like, wow, it feels way different. Uh, Nothing's, you know, you still wake up the same the next day. Nothing's changed dramatically. But over like a three year span, all of a sudden, you know, your contact base has grown. Uh, There are eyeballs on you and they might not use you right away or reach out. But, you know, it just builds and it builds and it builds. But there's never that one thing, at least that I've seen, that is like a game changer overnight. It's always just a slow build. Yeah, no, totally. And you're right. You get certain eyeballs on you and, you know, then you have the opportunity to meet somebody. So like if, if, if it's, it seems so unbalanced, but if after like, you know, an insane amount of time and insane amount of heart, heartbreak work and blood, sweat and tears, I do a video that introduces me to somebody, then that's a, that's a win. So then you're later on, you're like, Hey, you know, next thing you know, we're hanging out after we did Meshuggah, we're hanging out with uh, Burton from Fear Factory, and he only wants to chat with us because he saw what we did for Meshuggah. And you're like, okay, there's that connection. There's there's the payment that happened for this that allows us to go to the next piece. Yeah, and it's rarely uh, monetary or whatever. It's always something else, and it kind of cracks me up. Like, so I one of the things I tried to do was like, okay, how do you hit? So my band, I'm in a band called Vinnerse, and uh, yeah, we had a new album come out, and I wanted to try to really just step up, step it up on the videos. And so one of the first things I did, there's a, a abandoned nuclear power plant up here uh, in, in Washington. I'm in Oregon, but it's like uh, two, two and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. And so I looked up how to, uh, it took me like a week to figure out how to get film permits for it and uh, worked through that process. And um, we came up with a bunch of stuff and went out there and filmed at this abandoned um, nuclear reactor. So we filmed in the cooling towers. Uh, we filmed in this uh, reactor room and this wind turbine room and all these areas. And, you know, it probably is one of the cheaper videos that we've done for this band recently, but it also opened up so many doors. Like it, normally our videos were about 
they were maxing out at like 20,000 plays. And this one's at like 60 or 600,000. Oh, and nice. Then, um, nice, dude. It, it kind of broke that dam open for us. And it was because I wanted to film at a cool spot. Like there was no, <laughs> that was what drove the motivation for that. And then we worked in uh, the story because the, the albums are rough concepts. And so we were trying to work in the rest, the, the rest of it. And, uh, kind of work backwards from there, but I was like, I just want to film here. Like that just looks like an awesome location, and you know, they ended up the whole thing resonated with people, which is pretty cool. I still think the story on it was not the best, but you know, the location was so good and it matched like the aggressiveness of the song. And then, um, then we followed it up with this uh, video, Crack a Light, and this was when I initially like reached out to you. Um, mm-hmm. Crack a Light, we 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 were like staring down the pandemic. Our tour plans got canceled, and we we're like, okay, what are we gonna do? And we've always had some pretty lofty ideas for music videos, but it's always time and money. Yeah. And so this time, where it's like, well, we have the time, and the song kind of has like a little bit of a pirate vibe feel. And I was like, you know, you can't film on the ocean; it's too expensive. But like, what if you took a boat to the desert? Like these people are on this grand adventure, and uh, my bandmates were like, what? Uh, that sounds kind of interesting, but nobody, nobody, like, what do you mean taking a boat to the desert? And so I uh, had been, you know, developing this idea. And I was like telling my wife, I'm like, yeah, I want to build a boat. And she was like, you can't build a boat. And so she was like <laughs> calling around asking friends if like the boat got dropped off somewhere that, you know, like somebody abandoned one that we could take. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm after. So I uh, picked my, my brother up one day and I was like, hey, we're going to Home Depot. And uh, he's a planner. So I was like, you're going to hate me. I was like, we're going to build a boat. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And it's just like, oh, God damn it. So we get a bunch of wood and, you know, like three trips to Home Depot later, all of a sudden we have like 60% of the boat and people are like, oh, wait, this is cool cool i'm like yeah this is what i wanted to do and it was like watching like three minutes worth of youtube videos and i was like "Eh, i think i got i think i know enough on how to do this and if it had the flow it'd be drastically different story sure but you know (laughs) we built it and it was a 20 foot boat and it wasn't the prettiest thing but it was supposed to be like a medieval ish vibe like some grand adventure and things just got like railed in the storm and uh we built costumes like the guitar player his uh wife's mom helped build costumes and then we spent a lot of time on like color theory so how do we want our singer to look so she looks different from the rest of us and we kind of look like peasants compared to her she's more like a queen or a leader figure Mm -hmm. and you know we just went gangbusters on it and so it you know, getting field permits for the desert was fun. And then I had to go, uh, my production company's name is Hot Carl Productions because my name is Carl with a K. Uh And if you've ever looked up an urban dictionary, you'll have a good laugh, but it's, it cracks me up until I have to go sign paperwork somewhere. And you can tell that the official person on the other side understands what a Hot Carl is. And they're like staring at me and like, what the hell are you doing? It was friggin' comical. Uh, That's great, man. Yeah. So we we get all the paperwork and then we had to get like a trailer. It's like this is a huge amount of effort. And I was just like, God, I hope I hope this pays off well. And uh, yeah, we had to go out to the desert for two days. We had a day of travel and on each side and film like crazy. And then I, I just remember like our story footage we got there was so good, but the band footage. Um, you know, we we thought it was two hour drive from our hotel, like Airbnbs, to the desert. It turned out to be like three. Oh my and god. Then we, we stupidly packed um, all the props that we could have been filming with in the back of the boat because every, all the vehicles were so full. And so we had to wait for the boat to get there. And this guy's pulling in his truck. So he was like an extra half hour, 45 minutes late every time because he, it was hard for him to go up hills with this thing. Yeah. And so we just, I felt like we just completely whiffed 
the whole setup. And I'm like, I planned this thing for months. And here, I, here we are dropping the ball. And then everybody's tired. And so the band shots, like the first, I get home the first night and I look at some of them. And you know, if I'm out in front of the camera, somebody else is filming me and the focus is off. It's soft. And I'm just like, oh, no. And then, you know, there's a lot of wiggle. And so the, this shoot, we go through, we go through and we like, we killed so much of it, but there's enough problems where I went back and I, I bought like the easy rig backpacks uh, because uh-huh. I was like, I can't have this happen again. If I yeah. did this for somebody else, I would, I'd like fire myself. Um, and well, then we went out did, and we went, oh, go for did, it. Did they, did, so did that footage that was slightly out of focus and everything, did that end up in the cut? Is that in the cut no. itself? Okay. No, okay. we we got enough good stuff everywhere. Um, what happened was the sunset shots were absolutely spectacular. Yeah, they're pretty. And so it was so hard not to use those. Um, they were they were magic. Uh, it was just it looks like Star Wars. Like you look like you're on a different planet. So we filmed out in this dry lake bed, and so it's like um, hundreds of miles of dry lake bed. I mean, it's just crazy. So we drove like eight hours. To this location and you know it's like i though i went out there one time there's no wind so this i told everybody oh don't worry there's no wind we went out there this time and it's like 50 mile an hour wind gusts occasionally <laughs> so it actually knocked the drummer's set over which i've never seen before and i was just like <laughs> are you kidding me sands whipping everywhere like just it was it was kind of horrible but it was also uh there's a sense of accomplishment I'm like we got yes. through this we yeah. survived we filmed we got the footage uh, and again, the story stuff worked out so well. It was just the first couple takes on uh, band stuff were, were pretty abysmal. Thankfully, we got everything we needed, but it was it was hard. We we're using like anamorphics for the first time. No, dude, and they're a lot longer focal length, you know, so you can't handhold it the same that you could before. Tripod randomly broke on the way there. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the video the video looks great. So, uh, all that being said, uh, to prove our point before, like none of that matters because the video looks great. I, I don't think anybody would assume that that happened. Um, and I know that stress that you're dealing with, you know, because you're just like, fuck, how do I? Because we've had plenty of those shots, you know, where you shoot something and technically it goes wrong or you get in the edit room and you think you have something great and you're looking at that footage going, what the fuck do I do with this? Um, but, you know, you can do a lot in the edit, man. And yeah. You know, it comes out, like I said, your your stuff looks really great. And the effort that you put into the costumes, that boat must have been fucking heavy. Oh, yeah. It took like six people to move it <laughs> in a decent fashion. Four, we had to do it twice with four people, and that was horrible. Um, thankfully, <laughs> I had a lot of PVC pipes, and we were able to roll it across the yard on PVC pipes. Yeah. But I have footage from our ring camera of us trying to get it on the trailer for the first time with like four people. And it was it was hilarious to watch my, I think my wife showed it to her coworkers cause it was pretty funny. <laughs> how many, uh, how many days of shooting did you guys uh, need for this? We did, we did quite a few. So we did a chunk in the beginning where we found this natural sunlight cave in Oregon. So we had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go shoot there. So we shot there for like four hours and basically there's a hole in the roof of the cave and it has this really cool beam of light. And because it's a cave, it, it's basically like perfect conditions for this like spotlight. Mm-hmm. And we, we did four hours there. So it's like a whole day trip. And then um, we did the desert footage for two days and there's the day of travel each way. And then we built uh, the interior of the boat in my garage. Mm-hmm. And so we did a day of filming with that. And then we did a void, which we did two days for that. And that was basically why we built a stranger Things style void where we had a big pool. Mm-hmm. It was like 30 by 40 feet. And then it had like a half inch of water. And so we shot the boat in there. Uh, we ripped the pool. So then we got the boat out and shot band footage before the pool drained. 
And then I cut all the band footage because I hated it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so my bandmates were like, what the hell? But, you know, I'm so proud of how the video came out. And it's funny because it doesn't have quite as many views as some of the other videos. But it's the one where I was like, all right, I'm getting hit up from people that, you know, it's like... Sometimes you put out a video and like everybody's like, oh, yeah, cool, great. And then there's other times where like, you know, for weeks afterwards, people are reaching out and they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys did this. How did you do that? Like, can we talk? Can we do this? And, you know, and sometimes things come. Sometimes like you two years later, that person might finally be ready to do something. But uh, yeah, yeah, totally. know, it, it definitely got a lot of eyes on it and, and turned a lot of heads from um, some people and some bigger bands, too, that reached out. It is time to take a second and thank the men and women that make this show possible. And I'm not just list, I'm not just talking about you, the listener. I am talking about our sponsors. I'm talking about the companies that I have handpicked, handpicked to support the show. First, let's talk about my friends over at Puget Systems. These guys always get the first read because they've been around for the longest. They have been with the show since we started. Um, they continue to support me, support my projects. If you're in the industry and you're looking for a new computer, let's say you're a video editor, maybe you're a photo editor, maybe you're you're a music composer, uh, maybe you're just a fucking gamer and you're tired of uh, your system not being fast enough, you're tired of having to throw down every four years, five years on some ridiculous costing unit that is just an unboxing experience, you know what I'm talking about. Build yourself a PC. And I know for a lot of folks, just hearing the word PC is scary. It's dangerous. Do PCs have support? Do they have customer support? Do they crash all the time? How stable are they? Let me just break all those myths right now. I have been cutting all of my stuff on a PC for over eight years. And I love it. I've been using a Puget system. When I turned my back, I turned away because they turned their back on me. I turned away from Mac and Apple on uh, my desktop and uh, I did the hunt and I didn't want to build my own PC. I used to do it as a kid and I didn't want to be customer support for my team. Um, So I found this company called Puget Systems. They're family owned and operated either from Washington on the West Coast here. And uh, these guys don't manufacture hardware. So they're not peddling off their shit. They know how to build computers. So they do all that research They do benchmark tests. They test out the newest pieces of hardware. How does this new graphics card hold up in the new version of Photoshop? How does this sound card hold up with this device? They test everything and then they put together machines based upon the software that you're going to use. So if you head on over to PugetSystems.com, choose the software that you're going to be using for your system. And believe it or not, these guys will build you a beefy, tweaked out machine to work for that. I use mine all the time. I have been cutting... Uh, 6K now. Ridiculous. I never thought I'd be shooting 6K. I'm cutting 6K footage in my Premiere timeline real time with my Blackmagic stuff. So I'm using the bra files that are raw files. And then in my Premiere timeline, I can actually adjust all my raw settings. I do a lot of my color grading through Lumetri um, because it's faster, it's quicker. um, And the quality is fucking phenomenal. And I have no problem doing this on my Puget system. So head on over to PugetSystems.com and check them out. 
supporting the show is Black Magic. Can you believe it? Black Magic is a sponsor for our show. How fucking cool is that? Very legitimizing. Um, I love their Black Magic camera. I've been shooting with their um, their 6K Pro. Let me get it right. right. So I have the Black Magic Pocket Cinema Camera Pro 6K. I love it. The one of the reasons why I got it was that it has the flip out um, screen on the back, which if you guys have ever used the camera I was using before this was a Nikon, so I had like a Nikon T800, and without the flip out screen and you're shooting low angle stuff, it's impossible to see what's on there. So you would always have to have another like another monitor, like an onboard, maybe like a small HD or something else. So I was constantly trying to shoot lightweight with all these accessories. I fucking hate accessories. There's something about prosumer cameras that require you to have an ass load of accessories. Drives me crazy. A lot of parts to break, a lot of like arms that are loosening when you're trying to run around with the camera. Drives me nuts. So I wanted to find a, a high quality camera that shot raw footage, but also had a great monitor on the back that I can flip out and I can use and trust and uh, with the Pro, I actually have the eyepiece for the top too, which is really fucking great. Um, and what, the other thing I love about Blackmagic's uh, cinema, Pocket Cinema 6K Pro, is that it shoots raw, which is huge for a camera in that price range. Um, and that allows me to do so much more in my color correction. I can also load LUTs into the camera and LUTs that go through to the monitors only. So when we're lighting on set, I can actually see how my lighting affects the LUT. How crazy is that, right? Super cool stuff, stuff that you would expect from the larger cameras, but I get it at such a great price with uh, Blackmagic. So head on over to Blackmagic. The website is below in the description. Please click on the links in the description that helps the show um, and check out what they're working on. They don't just make cameras, man. Those of you who work in post-production, you know all about Resolve you know, how they're trying to push Resolve into being the new editing uh, platform. So many of you guys out there really enjoy Resolve as an editor. Uh, check it out for yourself. Like I said, click through on below, head on over to Blackmagic's website, and check them out, um, and uh, let them know that I sent you. All right. Also supporting the show, good friends over at Quasar Science. We talked a little bit about lighting. One of the most important parts of great content isn't how good the chip on the camera is, isn't whether or not you're shooting 6K, it's all about what's in front of that lens. And then what's even more important is how you light what's in front of that lens. And having great, reliable, tested color temperatures that stays consistent between units, great power resources, lights that don't require generators, lights that don't record, they, they essentially can run off of batteries. Um, being able to dial in any color in the rainbow um, or just rely on tested, true uh, colored lights. Go to quasarscience.com and check it out. These guys make the best lights in the, in the business. If you have one of these in your kit and you hire a gaffer, he's gonna give you a thumbs up because <laughs> you know what you're fucking doing. Um, and so many folks have asked me all the time, Mike, what kind of lights do you have in your kit? Well, I've got a few. And uh, as far as like LED tubes are concerned, Quasar Science is one of my favorites. So go check them out. That being said, also on the lighting curve, 
We're also sponsored, brand new sponsor, brand new supporter of the show, uh, ETC. Now, for those of you who don't know what ETC is, ETC, they manufacture the source for light. This is a light that I have been using all the time. Any of Gina's music videos that you've seen me do, she is consistently asking for a very spotlight source. Incredibly well-crafted, different lenses, different snoots, uh, different ways to control a spotlight source. ETC has been doing stuff for the stage for years. Anytime you go to a concert or you see a show, a lot of their lights are up there. Um, and now, more recently, they have made huge advances in the LED field, and so their lights are becoming cooler, their lights are requiring less power, all that really great stuff. So I've got a couple ad reads here. Let's try this one. A lot of us in the film industry have used the iconic Source 4 profiles on set, those are the lights. ETC, the maker of the Source 4, has been working hard in recent years to give us incredible new feet, incredible new fixtures, specifically for use with cameras. I just got my hands on their FOS 4 Fresnel. I just opened it up. Uh, and one of the most eye-catching aspects of this line of fixtures is the color mix. Their Luster X8 array includes deep red emitters, which not only open up more color mixing options than you normally get with a traditional four studio fixture, but also lead to richer, more natural beam of light at any color point that you use. Once you use these fixtures on skin tones for yourself, once you use, once you see these fixtures on skin tones for yourself, it's truly surprising how much impact deep red makes in any situation on set. So let me jump out of the read here for a second. This is a big part of LEDs is trying to get solid units that actually uh, show good skin tones. It's a big deal. And these guys are hyper fucking focused on that. If you're not familiar with ETCs and all their fixtures, they are backed by a 24 seven customer support. See the FOS four panel and for now for yourself by visiting etcconnect.com backslash love the process. That is etcconnect.com backslash love the process. I will put the link below in the episode. These guys are a new sponsor for us. I just opened up this Fresnel. It's fucking rad. Um, I'm gonna try it out. I'm super excited. I haven't had one of these in my kit. Um, and I'm telling you, I contacted these guys just to let them know how often I use their Source 4 units. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if a Source 4 to you is like, what the fuck kind of light is this? Head on over to etcconnect.com backslash love the process and check it out. And you go, ah, that light. And then when you watch some of my music videos, you go, that's how we got that. Such a great fucking unit. Uh, anyway, that's it. Those are our sponsor reads. Let's get back to the show. I mean, those experiences that sounded like they were a nightmare and incredibly stressful, 
do become badges of honor later. So it, oh yeah, well if it went smooth, like there's no story to tell, right? Yeah, well yeah, and then, and then when you've done because we've done smooth videos, I've done smooth videos before, and you're just like, yeah, okay. And there's no lessons to be learned. You, you go <laughs> <Yeah>. online and <laughs> people are like, ah, this is great. You go, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, yep. it's it's funny, man. And at the end of the day, the weird thing is, this is another lesson that we learned. Uh, the weird thing is, is that no matter how good we do, no matter how good our visuals are, no matter how many setups you do, no, how, no matter how good the edit is, it always comes down to the song. Like the song yep. has to be great. And uh, I never really considered that when I was younger. I was I was always like, hey, someone wants to do a video. Ah, the song doesn't fucking matter. We'll just do a music video. We'll make it great. Um, but nowadays, what makes me say yes is a great track. Because I know if the song's great and it's something that I want to listen to, then people are going to want to listen to. And then it'll, it allows uh, the work that we do to stand out. As opposed to, I've done tr I've done videos for tracks that suck, and so when you when you actually mute the song, you're like, wow, these visuals are fucking phenomenal. And then you turn the song back on, you're like, these visuals look like shit, because <laughs> it it really does come down to the music at the end. Of the oh, day. it's so true, and like it's it feels weird when after you're done, you look at it and you're like, God, uh, I helped elevate the song, and ideally they should be working together. If you have a killer track and a killer video, like things tend to fly in in great fashion but you know if you're trying to take a c or d level song and try to get a 10a with a music video it's you know uh, you're still only going to hit like a c max or a b oh dude and then when you try to show people that you know like my brother who's one of my harshest critics i'll show him a video i think a, a video that i had done and he, <laughs> he just watches it and he goes shut it off <laughs> he's like and i'm like why it looks so great right he goes i just can't listen to that track i'm like how about if i oh, mute man. it yeah and you're like okay it my brother's the same way. I, I bounce everything off of my wife and my brother because, like, my wife is the first person that's like, "There's lint on that shirt. Get rid of it." <laughs> and my brother's like, "That song's horrible," or "This is this is trash." <laughs> and it's just so funny. And it, I like it because those you, you need that feedback when you're working through this stuff. You need the people who will like call you out on your shit or the things that I lose track of, like, you know, oh, her her thigh looks weird there. Uh, you should find a different take or airbrush out or something. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, cool. Like I was not paying attention to that because mm -hmm. I was looking for this other thing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you the other thing I, I wanted to ask you, cause I, I feel like, um, I, you know, looking at what you've done. Uh, so I just shot a movie and like incredibly proud of it. Uh, and I don't feel like, you know, I wasn't ready. I wasn't quite ready when we started, but I feel like the ability, like all the music videos that we shot over the last couple of years uh, just really helped set me up for success on the movie because you end up doing so much planning. Like you just do everything for all the music videos from planning to yeah. shooting to editing. And then, um, it also just, you know, what I found in music videos is you never quite know what you're getting yourself into. You plan, you storyboard and you shot list and then you get there and like the wind knocked down that tree that you needed or, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, well, shit. Uh, and so, so you adapt like really well to that stuff. And I'm curious for you with like 12 kilometer, like how do you feel like you had that same sort of thing where like the music videos really helped prop you up and like gave you a good base of knowledge Did it, did they help you get good faster? Like what, what is, what is that for you? Yeah, man. I mean, of course the, you know, I think going into doing 12 km, that was a very nerve wracking experience for me because I'm a, I'm shooting a movie in a language I don't speak. And then, you know, B, I'm putting my own money into it. And so 
I had the confidence to even just get started because of the years of music videos. And I had the crew and the team that I had built because of the years of music videos. And then I, I knew uh, because of the time editing music videos, how much footage and coverage I would need to repair stuff if it sucked, you know? And so there was a, there was a lot of that that went into it. Um, but that being said, I wasn't, music videos didn't prepare me for uh, narrative directing. They really didn't. I think that I, I knew they prepared me for producing. They prepared, they prepared me as far as like uh, getting a pretty image and understanding shots and shot lists and all that kind of stuff. So it's, they're essential. They have, they are an essential part of my history. Um, but then when I started to work with talent and go through the process of casting and all that stuff, I realized that, uh, I had a lot to learn. And so, um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> oh, no, it, it, that mirrors my, my expect, or like at least my journey on that too, because, you know, you get good at doing a lot of things because of music videos, but then all of a sudden um, when you're shooting and I was editing uh, this, this movie too, um, you know, you can't cut to band footage to save the story. Right. Um, right. <laughs> you know, you have to make sure you get the right coverage. And thankfully we had enough pros on the set that, you know, people were really good about it and, uh, but I, you know, when we first started this, it's a fan film. So some of the, like the local pros, like we had our AV and our sound guy, they do this stuff for a living. Um, you know, they definitely were like, what the, what the hell are we doing? It's a first time director, first time cinematographer on this, like, oh God, we're, we're, we're going to die. And, uh, you know, eventually like they start, you know, you learn enough from them. Plus your, you know, good basis of knowledge to draw from, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, kind of won them over, which is good. But it was, there was, I remember one day we were staring at this problem and I was like, I just looked over at the AD and I was like, I'm out. I was like, I'm spent. We were painting four hours before everybody showed up. What do you recommend? Cause yeah. he like kept coming at me with like challenging questions. And I was like, I don't, I don't have an answer right now. Like, what do you, what do you think? And he's like, Oh, I think we should do this. I'm like, can you just fucking say that next time? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. please. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, it, because we had those, those guys to help lift this up, um, you know, it helped punch in and like fill in some of those holes. And then, you know, we were able to, we, sh we started filming our movie. It took two years to film because of COVID. Uh, we were probably, I don't know, three, four weekends into it, maybe when, when COVID hit mm -hmm. and shut us down for six months. And then when we finally started shooting again, it was, you know, instead of trying to bust out 10 pages a day, we were busting out a half a page or a page and trying to get like the most minimal crew possible because um, we were trying to be safe. Sure. You know, we were slowly able to build it back up once once things became uh, more known on how to handle it. But like, man, that was that was a rough ride for uh, two years on filming and you know editing and filming and editing. But we were able to punch up our story too and, and add some things in that you know help make it better. Um, redo uh, a kill. Um, we added a whole new character that got cut from. It was in one of the initial drafts. We cut it and then we added it back in. And I'm so happy we did. Uh, yeah, it's just what a wild ride. What movie is this now? Oh, this, sorry. This is Jason Rising. This is our Friday the 13th fan film. Okay, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. And so one of the things that we were able to do because of COVID is we got Adrienne King. She played uh, Alice Hardy in the first Friday the 13th movie. She was the final girl. Right. And so we, we got her and we brought her back. And so the movie comes out and we kept this under wraps for, you know, months and the movie came out and then people see that and they're just like, what the hell? So the Friday the 13th fans are rabid and uh, they just went gangbusters over. I mean, the, the, the movie's doing phenomenal right now. Um, 
no. we're working on the behind the scenes Blu-ray stuff. I'm, I'm so excited to get that in, in people's hands, but it's out on YouTube for free. So people can watch it. If you just go to YouTube and type in Jason rising. And did you get any shit for doing a fan film? Did you, did you get any cease and desist or anything? Uh, so the, we did not get cease and desist. The Friday the 13th is weird because they have, there's a lawsuit going on uh, between the creators of it. Mm-hmm. And so this, it's kind of in limbo. Also, the creators, the two main people, plus the studios are actually aware of the fan films. And they have told one of our producers had done a really, really good fan film called Never Hike Alone. And he's actually met a lot of the people at the studios and some of the creators because of that fan film. And they've all been really supportive. I think what they're after is to make sure that people aren't trying to get rich off the property. Of course. Uh, yeah, Cause yeah. in the meantime, right now it's helping keep Friday the 13th alive. That's all, that's all we have while that's happening. And you know, if they're well done, um, and they're not like stepping in the studio's territory and not, not acting like they're trying to, and you're keeping the money that you raise below, let's say like a hundred thousand. Uh, and you know, like if, if we raise a hundred thousand, I'm, I'm going to guess at least 50 to 60 goes right immediately to perks and not the movie. So you've technically only raised about 35 to 40,000 for the actual movie. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But uh, you know, so they, they've been, they, they seem supportive. Like I haven't talked to anybody directly. Uh, I was worried that we might get a cease and desist at some point, but you know, I, it looks like they might have settled the lawsuit and uh, nothing's happened yet. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, I mean, that's happen. that's the risk of doing a fan film. I mean, I, I've I've been through that shit. So I went through that shit with Marvel and The Punisher. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, that's great. That's great that it's been doing good things for you. And what's the what's the end goal with that? Like, what do you hope that this does for you? Uh, you know, it already, it already did it. Basically, you know, I feel like if I, I wanted to, I love doing music videos, but I want to, I also want to do movies and tell stories. And, um, you know, I got to wear a lot of hats on the, on the movie from producing to, uh, I don't want to say directing because we had an awesome director, but like, you know, some of the scenes, like he's out there running around with a smoke machine because we had such a minimal crew. (laughs) And so I'm like watching somebody and they're like, I don't want to say filming around a performance, but that's not quite what I want when we're in the edit. So then you, you work with them on it and I'm like, wow, this is cool. Like I got a chance to actually like help shape somebody's performance and it's for the better. <laughs> it's the worse. And, uh, you know, it, so for me, it's already done everything I could possibly want. Like we've won some awards from some festivals, which it, to me isn't a big deal, but mm-hmm. the fact that we finished a movie and it was something that James and I did. Like we were the two main people. I mean, obviously we had a huge team. We couldn't have done it without everybody, but like it was he and I driving it forward. And yeah, yeah, of course. I, you know, I, I just want to do it. I got bit by the movie bug. I want to do more. And so we're developing other ideas. Um, it's nice to be able to point people to this this product and say, hey, you know, this is what we did. And I can, I can show that to people. It's kind of like, you know, when you have some really good music videos, you can point somebody like, here's somebody's like, Oh, can you shoot me what music videos you've done? And instead sure. of sending them 15, you're like, here's one. And they're like, Oh crap. So I think it's already done everything I've, I've wanted. You know, we're working on the Blu-ray, which I think is going to be really cool to have Blu-rays of something I've done. But, uh, you know, it's already done way more than I could ever hope for. What'd you guys shoot that on? We shot that on Blackmagic Pocket 4K cameras. Ah, um, yes, Blackmagic. I have, I have two of them. Uh, I have a lot of lenses. You know, I love them because they record to solid state drives, mm-hmm. and you know, so we can get tons of footage. We're shooting like Broad Zero or uh, Broad Q Zero, Q Five, so it's like pretty uncompressed. And you know, I have like tons of Nikon lenses. I have Sony lenses. I've got Canon lenses. I have Micro Four Thirds lenses, and they all adapt very nicely to the camera. But a camera being cheap. 
you know, uh, and plentiful, like we had, uh, towards the end of the movie, another guy joined on to help uh, film and he, we had like a, a big weekend where he had to just break up. And I was like, okay, cool. If I can get somebody else in, that's good. Maybe we can like kind of tag team some of this stuff. And, and we so we brought this guy in and worked with him on one weekend. And I was like, okay, he's good. He's got a really good sense of style and he's just, uh, super, super competent and amazing uh he also had black magic pockets so we we sometimes have like six five to six on set mm -hmm. and we'd mm -hmm. set them up with different rigs so we'd have some on tripods we'd have some on sliders or a jib and it was really nice to be able or like ronin's and so instead of swapping cameras and taking 10 15 minutes you know we had this one guy matt where it's like okay you're on the ronin today so anything that we do with the ronin is your camera right right and right. anything that's on a tripod is this camera and freddie has that or i have that and and it was just so nice to be able to swap whole entire rigs and then later i get to you know throw all the footage together but it made it um so much more productive when we were really flying fast on some of those weekends yeah they're great cameras i i, I just started using the uh 6k pro and uh oh man it's great yeah. it's a great rig i uh, was very impressed with uh, the raw capability that it has, and I was very impressed with how simply it, it, it integrated into the Adobe Premiere platform that I use. So, um, yeah, no, they're great, dude. And the footage looked great. I saw, like, I watched the Jason Rising uh, clip, and I thought it was really great, dude. Cool, so, thanks, Ben. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, th those cameras are phenomenal. Like, I... It, because you can have the dual ISO um, and you can shoot at 3200, like we're able to light most of the night stuff with just uh, like chip on board LED lights. Mm -hmm. And so instead of having the rent generators and everything, we're able to use um, just normal, like kind of prosumer LED level lights and do a decent job at lighting things at night and uh, just use battery power. And it, it made it just so much simpler to use. I, I'm just in awe of those cameras. Um, a huge, huge fan of them. And I'm super stoked that you got a 6K Pro because it's got the internal NDs. Um, yeah, which is really great. Yeah, <laughs> that's really great too. And it, it you know, being a, a guy that has been shooting now for like, fuck, almost 20 years, it's fascinating to see uh, how how insane and how sensitive these cameras are. And it really sort of, I remember the first time I was using like a high ISO, like very sensitive chip, uh, lighting at night became difficult because I was trying to get rid of light, which was fascinating. So that, like at that point, you're like, ah, oh, that fucking street light that's on down the corner is ruining the shot. <laughs> and so you, you ended up having to flag a lot more and actually get, get rid of more light uh, because of how sensitive those chips are. Um, but you can really shoot some beautiful stuff with it. And I've never, I'm never one to sort of uh, push gear and of course, Blackmagic is a sponsor of the show. This is not a sponsor read. Um, but I think at the end of the day, what makes your footage look great is the, is the stuff that you shot with it. And it's always what you put in front of these magical little toys. And it, it, it's always what the actors will give you. It's always what uh, your wardrobe stylist will put there or your, if you have a production designer um, and color theory and contrast, all that stuff will make any image look great. And, yeah. you know, I've, you know, some of our early music videos, I joke about this all the time, back when we were doing, um, you know, the early stuff for Agnostic Front. And, and at that time, Headbangers Ball was still on, I think it's back, but at that time, Headbangers Ball was still on TV before it went away. And uh, our videos would go up against music videos that were shot on 35 millimeter. 
and no one would know that our music video was shot on mini DV. So uh, at the end of the day, really, it just comes down to what you put in front of that camera. Uh, it's so true. And then so for like Jason Rising, the director was really good at uh, the production design. So, you know, he knew how to age stuff and just make it look like it's been sitting out in the rain yeah. for like years and years and years. And it just made such a huge difference. He had a great eye for costuming, too. And, you know, it's one, it's one of those things where people who don't know, like, they don't care what camera you shoot on. So whenever I see people arguing online about what camera is better, I'm like, just take the one you have and go shoot with it. Like, really just it doesn't matter like you can argue over specs but like is that going to make your project any better probably not unless you have something really specific in mind uh you know just go out there and go make art like yeah. stop arguing go film yeah if you took half that that energy that it required to actually dig into the specs you and, and use that to like figure out how to get a good story out of a out of an actor you'd be winning man like yeah it's a, it's a funny thing. Like one of the things I'm doing right now, because, you know, coming out of COVID and prepping for a movie and, and all that, um, I feel like I'm rusty because it's been a while because of the year off that everybody took. It's been a while since I've sat down with actors and, and worked out scenes narratively. And so um, I was feeling a little, I was feeling kind of, ir not irritated, but just like angsty. Where it's just like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I haven't shot in a while. I haven't directed in a while. And so a lot of folks were like, well, just do another short film. Do another short film. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that's where the problem is. I don't think it's not knowing how to shoot something with a camera. I think it's just about how to, how to get performances, how to work with talent again. Um, and so this thing I've been doing over the past two weeks, which I'm fucking loving right now, is uh, I'm just getting together with actors that I know. Uh, we're going through and digging up. I'm finding random scenes from movies that people barely remember. And I'll put two actors in a room and we'll just workshop a scene. And I'm not filming it. I'm not doing it. I'm not capturing it yet. I might one of them. But as of now, we're not capturing anything. And we're just spending, you know, four hours, five hours. They do their homework. They learn their lines. We come into a room and we just play it as if we're blocking for shoot. Um and the energy and the enthusiasm and the excitement that I have uh, is so incredibly rewarding from that. More so than if I was feeling angsty like so many people do where they're like, I feel like I need something. I got to go fucking buy something. And so then people are like looking for what's the hot new camera on the market. And they start to argue about ISOs and the fucking this chip looks like shit over here. And this is a full frame and this is not a full frame. Why don't you get together with, do what I'm doing, get together with actor friends, find a couple scenes. You can just type anything in online, find a script, a shooting script for any movie and uh, pull those scenes and, and shoot and don't even shoot it. Just work them out. And it's so fucking rewarding because it's that skill that so many of us don't flex. We don't give enough credit to. And at the end of the day, when I was shooting 12 cam, which you asked me before, did I feel like my experience with music videos prepared me for that movie? That specifically, that moment there, they did not. Getting into a space where you have two actors that are standing in front of you, everybody has done their homework, and you have to watch them sort of work it out. It's incredibly awkward for me to see that. And it's oftentimes when I see first performances, I'm like, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Like you have this moment where you go, okay, this looks like shit. 
And it's not because they're not good. It's just because I'm, I have to teach myself the process. The same way you have to teach yourself, you know, how to, how to set the white balance on a camera, how to fucking format your cards correctly, how to go through all that stuff. You have to teach yourself the same prep process to, to see rehearsals, to give direction on rehearsals and to give feedback on actors. Uh, it's so true. I just, uh, La Oa sent me a lens um, to test and get sample footage for him. And so I had like two weeks. And one of the things I wanted to do is uh, I had a couple friends that were free that were that had worked on Jason Verizon. I was like, hey, let's go shoot a short. I mean, it's just Thursday night, got the, one, the second person to approve. They're saying, yes, they could do it Friday morning. So then I booked the studio space for two hours, which is ridiculous. Um, and we <laughs> shot like a, a minute and 30 seconds short, but it was one of those things where, you know, same thing you get in front of them. I'm like, Oh my God, I have to describe my vision again mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. work with them. And I'm out of practice. Holy crap. I'm rusty. Cause I didn't shot anything since the movie. Yeah. And yeah. And it's just like, okay, how do we get them from a to B fast? And, you know, we end up doing it, which is great, but like, wow, part of me now wants to kind of do more of those where, you know, we just take a idea like spend a day writing it it's almost like your own little mini 40 hour film festival or something it just <laughs> yeah um, yeah just just to keep the the wheels going uh you know you get out of practice pretty easily and i i just i don't know and, and plus then you have results to show in this case which is pretty cool yeah i mean the thing i really enjoy about actually doing these rehearsals without my with with someone else's script is that it, it's sort of teaching me it's teaching me how to work on someone else with someone else's material, which a big part of directing is that these days, especially if you're going to try to get into television directing or if you're going to try to get into like a Netflix show or a series, uh, you're essentially walking in and just looking at the text and trying to work with the actors um, and, and create amazing performances. And I think earlier this year or earlier last year when I realized how much I did not know about working with actors and that's when I met Judith Weston and I did that whole bit with her uh, directors uh, directing for actors book and all that um, I realized that I, I had spent so much time uh, as a filmmaker coming from the sort of the same place that you are where I was so concerned with making sure that the stuff looked amazing and, and making sure that the stuff looked like it cost five times the amount that it actually did and, and hyper-focused on editing, all those skills, which are incredibly important. But as a director, I realized how little I was doing uh, as a director and what my job physically was as a director, I, I kind of was afraid of and I was ignoring for quite some time, which is working with actors. And it come to find out it isn't necessarily me sort of taking my idea and saying this is what you should do and this is how you do this and this is what I want from you it was understanding that my job is prepping and coming up with answers and then meeting with human beings that have their own ideas and their own stuff and and working it out together um I have it I have a theory that it's like a little bit kind of like soft skills at work where, you know, uh, it's one thing to light a scene correctly because it's a light. You can say, okay, turn this up 50%. But with actors, it's a little bit softer. Like if you don't have the right answer or you have to think about it or tell them like a corrective thing or ask for a different version of the take, it's, it's definitely have seen where people get, um, you know, it's not as easy. And, you know, what if you ask them for a different take and they don't do it right or they get nervous? And so, you know, for me, that was something I had to get over was was realizing, you know what, it's just another skill. Um, and if you don't practice it like lighting or, um, 
camera settings, then you, you're not going to get better at it. Yeah. And if I think, I think the best way, I think my only advice for anybody that wanted to practice that is just sort of let go of the need to make something and just practice that. When I was teaching myself lighting, I wouldn't film at all. I would just go and, and get, get a subject or I'd turn on a light and start lighting scenes and I would just have a monitor up so I could see it through a lens, but I wasn't filming it. I was just playing with it. And when you don't add that stress, if you're not saying like, this needs to be something, this needs to be great, then it's you're, you're, you're learning a lot more because you can actually let go of all that other technical bullshit for a little bit and then really dig into it. Um, and I don't know, man, it's, it's wild. I bring it up because it's fresh in my mind because I've just been doing it. I had a really good session last week um, and I was very fucking proud of it, actually. I, I walked out of there and we and I told my girlfriend, she's like, did you film it? And I go, no. So only me and the guys, <laughs> only me and the guys experienced it. But I walked out of there going, I fucking killed this. I, I know how to ask questions on it and I know how to set the mood right. And I was reading them perfectly and... And, uh, you know, I brought beers when I was supposed to bring beers and I played music when I was supposed to play music. Like all that stuff is is really fascinating. And I think at the end of the day, um, we talked about it on last week's show. Uh, the most important skill as a director is, is being a barometer for humans. And you're just sort of looking at an experience. You're looking at a group of people that you brought together and you're seeing, you're reading the weather patterns. You're reading their emotions. And you're working within the, the restrictions that you have, but you're also trying to inspire something that you didn't know existed. And I think when you do that, you start to discover something magical, if only for yourself, something magical. Um, and I think, you know, have you seen Dune yet? Did you go see Dune? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why Dune exists the way it does. I think that Denis is the master at you know allowing magic to happen and sort of he's so incredibly uh researched and he's so passionate about that subject material but when you watch that footage you can see where he just let he found a way to let it happen with a lot of that stuff it's really fucking interesting yeah i i think he's probably one of the best directors alive right now uh, um, he can't I, he can't fail right now dude he's yeah amazing. sicario was the one that turned me on to him where I was like, oh my God, just the minute it started to the minute it ended. I was just like, this is incredible. Dude, fucking, yeah. fucking prisoners, fucking enemy. Every movie that he's done has been uh, poetry and just inc yeah. incredibly inspiring stuff to watch. His sound work on fucking the new Dune. Jesus, the sound work is so beautiful. And I just did a post about it uh, last week. Um, but if you haven't seen dune yet do not watch it for the first time on hbo go watch it in the fucking cinema because you do, do imax if you can it's, it's it's huge it's worth it oh my god this is the everybody bitches that they don't have a great cinema experience this is that cinema experience that you have been bitching about this is that i haven't felt this way in the cinema since mad max fury road so, oh, so let me let me tell you about movies recently. So pandemic hit. We haven't gone in like two years except to go watch the premiere of my movie. And then we saw Shang-Chi. Pretty good. We saw Venom, Let There Be Carnage. 
horrible. <laughs> I have never been so angry in like years after walking out of a movie. It was just trash. And then we watched uh, the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die, which I loved. I think it's one of my favorite Bond movies of all time. I enjoyed and it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I just, yeah, I just thought Daniel Craig was inspired in it and uh, just, you know, completely absolved any of the, the sin from the previous movie. Uh, and then, and then we watched Dune. I'm just like, wow, like the whole year has been a complete disappointment in movies up until, uh, Chong-Chi was pretty good, but it's kind of like a Marvel. They have a formula. And then you hit, uh, Bond and then Dune. It's just like, what a, what a way. And then we still have like another month or two before the year's over. But I'm like, what, what else is going to touch those two? Uh, dude, I've had, I've been to two test screenings for movies that aren't public yet. And that I'm. I think just saying that I've been to test screenings means that I'm I'm running close of, uh, of getting myself in trouble. But there <laughs> are two movies coming out that are going to stand up to Dune. Are so, they coming out this year or next year? Uh, on the verge. So I think it, okay. I think it like right over into next year potentially. Cool. Yeah. There's there's two big ones I'm aware of. Uh, one of them, you know, I, I won't say anything more because I don't want to make it seem like you uh, gave anything <laughs> away. But that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's some great stuff coming out, and uh, yeah. it's very inspiring and stuff that I want to see in the cinema, uh, just because of that sound and because of that audience reaction. Um, you know, one of the films that I saw, um, test screenings are so funny out here. It's what I love about Los Angeles is that we got on a list and we get to go and and uh, see these movies, basically work prints. Uh, with like the third act still missing and you can see like the lights they use because the effects aren't in place. It's really kind of fun to watch. Um, and there was this one movie and they don't tell you for a lot of them what the movie is. They just say, hey, you're available next Wednesday. There's this film that's coming in and it's kind of like The Matrix. It's kind of like this. And you're like, okay. And you're trying to guess, you know, as you go in. And uh, we went to a major studio to see it. And, uh, you know, while you're in line with all these other folks, everybody's speculating, like, what movie is this? It could be this one. It could be that one. It could be this, you know. And then we get in there and the guy comes up front and he goes, okay, so this is what you're seeing. And the entire fucking audience stood up and cheered. Like, the movie hadn't even started yet. <laughs> the movie hadn't even started yet. So um, there's a lot of really fun, exciting stuff coming out and, and stuff that you want to be in the in an audience like that where people are fucking pumped to see it because then it just makes the movie it takes you away from that netflix boring cue lethargic mode that you're in where if the movie doesn't keep your interest for four seconds next thing you know uh you didn't even realize you've been scrolling through instagram for like most of the first act and you're like yeah Fuck. um so yeah yeah anyway that's it, small it's rant. so true <laughs> small rant there's there's a lot of fucking great shit coming out i'll just say that i i'm super excited to look forward to more stuff coming out this year uh did you did you watch did you do a premiere for uh, 12 kilometer in a theater yes so um back at home in on in boston we did so one of the reasons uh actually one of the reasons why 12 cam was was 30 minutes long and one of the reasons why that movie didn't get into festivals was because it was 30 minutes long, uh, was that I had prior to that movie made a fan film for The Punisher uh, with this crew, and we made something that was really amazing, and then we weren't allowed to show it to the world. We weren't allowed to screen it. We weren't allowed to do anything. Um, and so when I went back to that well again with the crew and the talent, I promised them that I would make something that they could bring their family to a theater to watch. Um, and so everything that we did with 12 cam was built for 
uh, the theater experience. Like I color corrected it in a theater. I actually had an amazing color correction team do that. And we sat in a movie theater and color corrected it live in a theater. Um, we, uh, sound designed it for fucking theater experience. Um, and, uh, we had the ones we've had two screenings. We were at the Boston independent film festival, something which sucked. That's festival sucked. (laughs) And I'll go on the record and say how shitty that fucking festival was. They did such a bad job with the audio and everything. Um, but then, uh, we did our own private screening at the Coolidge back in Boston where I screened that movie. I might have screened another movie that I'm not supposed to screen. And then um, <laughs> we screened three movies. Oh, and I, my buddy Stu Valberg, who is a assistant director, he's been on the podcast, his movie, uh, Megrim, we screened that as well. Um, and uh, it was such a fucking great experience, man. So much yeah. fun. So much fun. Great night. Everybody loved the movie. Um, and we got to hang out with uh, all the fans and... Um, you know, the crew and the family of the crew and too many beers, super hangover the next day. That's how it should good. be, though. Yeah. Have you screened in the theater? Yeah, we we had a sold out showing um, during the during COVID, which is kind of crazy. But just that the vibe and it's like, you know, going watching the Dark Knight in the theater for the first time with a sold out showing where just like the, the room is electric. So when we had people's names come on screen, people are cheering. When they die, people are cheering. When they see people <laughs> for the first time, they're cheering. You know, uh, we had a guy get his uh, wing cut off and like you hear the crowd going, oh, and the guy who played the guard that gets his uh, uh, manhood removed, um, <laughs> you know, he was he didn't know that happened. He, he found that out in the theater as he's watching it. And so I mean, it's just absolutely hilarious. And it was just so much fun. And I just hope any filmmaker that makes something can watch it in a theater filled with friends and have that opportunity to have that happen. It's just, it, it is just a different experience. I kind of, part of me thought it was pretentious before when people are like, it's the time for the big screen. And then no, once you get not. into it, you're like, no, no, I, I understand where they're at. I just didn't know. No, dude, it's like telling ghost stories around a fire. You know, it's like, it's like doing a barbecue for a bunch of people. Like it's, that's what you're doing it for. And the idea that you're going to spend all this time crafting these moments using these techniques to push emotions and then have people experience it quietly on their own somewhere else. It's like, what the fuck? You're cheating yourself out of all of the the learning that you can get from an audience reaction. So yeah, if you can screen your stuff in a theater, do it. And I know a lot of you are like, well, you know, how am I ever going to get something in the theater? Your local independent theaters let you rent them out. And they're very inexpensive to rent out. It's less than $500 in a lot of places to rent out a fucking theater. And you do the math. How many how many people are in your family that you're going to get to go there? Say to them, hey, 10 bucks a ticket. You'll get everybody to pay for the fucking theater itself. So it's, it's a fun thing to do. And if you've only done a short film, then uh, reach out to your friends or to other filmmakers that you respect and ask if you can also screen their short with yours. And then you could put together a program that runs for about an hour and a half. Uh, You'll be able to uh, mingle with those filmmakers that you really love, and you'll you'll become a curator of an experience, which I think is uh, uh, super important. Yeah, and you get to watch your stuff on the theater with your friends and and other people who've submitted their stuff for it. It's, I mean, yeah, it's it's huge. Uh, I think it's great advice. Yeah, man, that's you brought it up, so that was that was good advice. 
Well, this has been great, dude. We're pushing over an hour here. Um, anything else? That, I mean, because I know that you've been wanting to be on the show. Is there anything specifically that you wanted to ask me that we didn't talk about? Is there anything that you wanted to talk about? Um, no, I, I think we got the, I think we got everything. Um, <laughs> yeah, I me too. Think, I had, I, like, last night I was like, oh, I should make a list. And then I totally didn't. <laughs> uh, so editing some music video I've been sitting on for like three months. Um, <laughs> you, you ever have the ones that are just painful? And I have this yes. one that I just can't, I, every time I go to work on it, I just want to do something else. I'm like, fuck me, I got to get this done because it's going to kill me. Yes. I, uh, my girlfriend, because she's now doing music videos, she's killing it. Gina's like doing music videos for, for large acts on big labels now. Um, oh, nice. And uh, she, she runs into that where she's like, oh, fuck, I don't want to work on this thing. And I've always been that type of person that goes, I'm just going to put my head down. I'm just going to fucking start cutting. And you have to. You have yeah. to. When those jobs... That when they suck, because a lot of them do suck to get through, you just have to put your head down and go, I'm going to put shots together. I'm going to cut to the beat. That's what I'm doing right now. Cut, cut, yep. cut, 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 cut. <laughs> you know, once you get into it, typically, you, know, yeah. you catch a second wind and you just kind of go. But I'm at the effect stage where I'm like adding fire into a fire. Oh, and like I think oh. what it is is the mix of the song is whack. They changed the uh, BPM halfway through. Oh. So I actually go back and re-edit. And it just made me so angry. And then oh. the nighttime shots we got are just not – the best because we were, it, we just ran out of time. And so I'm just like looking at it and just like, Oh my God, this, the sooner I get this out, the better. Oh. Um, and, and it, and it's, it's cool. And like, I'm really proud of a lot of the, the band shots, but some of the story shots, I'm just like, fuck, I just, I just gotta get through this. They were using this, um, sticky, uh, black blood uh -huh. and it was just like spraying everywhere. And I just remember like, it was, they just, I don't want to say they got drunk, but I think they got a little drunk and it was like not coherent. And you're trying to stitch together this crazy story that they weren't prepared to shoot. I'm just like, fuck me. <laughs> Dude, you know, I, I really, I, I know you, we probably disagree on this. I really don't like fucking stories in music videos anymore. And it doesn't mean that I won't do one. It's just that at the end of the day, unless your story is really good, unless you have something that's incredibly inspired, I think that the formula of trying to cram story into a performance is just played out. And, and I think, um, especially in our, in that genre. And so for me, I just really started to hyper-focus on performance because at the end of the day, when, when like a new album comes out, unless it's a fucking banging fucking video, you want to see the guys do it. You want to see jesse singing you know you want to see james headfield at the fucking microphone you want to see these guys perform um and i don't know man like i i find that when i start when i start to interact with bands that are just like going on about story and i'm like what the fuck okay so it's another guy that's coming home from the military Mm -hmm. And he's gonna commit suicide some somehow in the fucking song. Is that? But you're gonna, gonna make happen? it okay because you're gonna put this little disclaimer up at the end to try to raise right. awareness. Like, clap, clap, clap! Right. You're fucking special, right? And then I'm gonna have to <laughs> shake the camera and do some stuff to make it look interesting. Yeah, man. I, I think that um, if you are listening and you want to get into music videos, I hate. I think just I think it's more important for you to hold out and find a great song, especially if you've done a few music videos and you've learned. And you know how to do it. And you're now at that point where you're trying to find work and you're trying to find a video. Um, a, if you're trying to make rent, 
have a second job because you're not going to do it with music videos. And then B, B, if you're looking for a music video, look for a great song and then look for, for a band that knows how to perform, that knows how to do really well. And uh, the big joke that we had was that if you saw the camera shaking in any of our videos or any videos, it was because the performances weren't good. Uh, it's so true. I <laughs> I can't tell you how many times where you just like you do the first take and you're like, oh, it's all on me. <laughs> yep. 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 You put it on a tripod. You have a whole thing and you're like, okay, this is going to be locked off shots. It's going to be really great. And then you watch the performance. You go, well, what am I doing wrong? Is lighting wrong? And I go, no, no, no. It's the performance that's wrong. Um, and there's no shame in that. I think there are a lot of really phenomenal fucking musicians that are incredibly technical um, and they don't give a shit about being a showman. And I get that. Yeah. That's fine. Um, but just know that when you're doing a video. And if you could do a video that's got uh, really great chemistry, performance chemistry, really great presence, um, it's going to change everything. Because that's, you know, the weekend shit. That's why everybody loves the weekend videos. Really great concept as far as the character that they uh, designed for him and the whole beat up face thing. Really great way in. But he's a fucking solid performer. He could be fucking spinning around on the streets of Los Angeles at night and kicking, you know, empty bottles around. People still want to watch him do it because he he knows how to perform. Um, yeah, I, f I find the ones that are like really strong performance and the people are very charismatic. Like those things edit themselves. Like you can turn I can turn around a video in two days because it just all happened. Yep. And you're just like, how did how did that how did this turn out so fast? Like I just I struggle like they're not all like that, you know, and you have some where you're just kind of trying to, you know, work the magic on the editing side a little bit more. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, think, I, I think you're totally right. Yeah. Watch the, when you sign on to, or if you write a treatment for a band, go watch them live, like uh, watch them on YouTube, find a space, see what they do. Um, because that's really going to be telling. Uh, because I, there were so many times that we came up with ideas and treatments that we didn't, I didn't do that. And so then I get on fucking set and I'm like, God damn it. All right. <laughs> Grab the camera. I'll bring it over here. We'll shake it a lot and uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll make this look good. Um, because, yeah, that's a big issue. Um, but anyway, um, well, dude, this has been really great. This has been great. It's good to meet yeah. you. Um, Likewise. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, man. And congrats on uh, finishing uh, the film. Congrats on... Uh, uh, being able to do what it is that you love and, you know, the double fucking world of being a musician and then, you know, being a visual artist at the same time, man. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's been it's been a fun journey getting here. There it is. Another episode in the can. Uh, Carl's a cool dude. Thanks again, man, for coming on the show and sharing your stories with us. Um, I appreciate the fact that you love the show, that you've been watching the show, 
And uh, I think you've got a lot of really great things coming in the future, and you seem to be a really cool dude. So that's what we like on the show. Uh, cool people that are passionate, um, but they also understand uh, what it takes to make stuff and what it takes to keep the folks around them inspired. So thanks for being on the show, dude. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you haven't done so yet, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. If you liked this episode, I've got quite a few more on music video creation. I actually have uh, Jesse from Kill Switch Engage on uh, one of the episodes. We talk about what it's like um, to be a band looking through treatments and trying to tr choose a director. Um, I've got other music video directors on the show. Uh, we're very real about this industry. And I just want to say this, whenever I start talking about music videos, there's always this teetering line where I don't want to get too negative about it because I don't want to dissuade you from uh, chasing a passion in that industry if you enjoy it. I just want to educate you and sort of, I don't know, break down the facade that uh, so many of us came up with, the wrong facade on having a career as a music video director and uh, you know being successful that way. And I think these days I would say that it's a very rare thing. And there are music video directors out there that have success and they make money, but it is a very rare thing to, if that is the only thing you do, if that is the, the one thing in your career box, um, just because the industry really doesn't support you for that. So um, yeah, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. A lot of great episodes on the way, a lot of new content coming out. Big shout out to all the musicians that continue to give us music for the show. Thank you, everybody. Um, and uh, that's it, man. I don't want to rant and rave too much more. As always, I'll see you next Tuesday.